Welcome to this episode of CRST, the podcast. In today's program, Professor Stefano Barabino, Professor of Ophthalmology and Head of the Ocular Surface Center at the Sacco Hospital in Milan, Italy, will lead the second of three discussions focusing on dry eye disease, or DED. In this episode, we'll discuss the diagnosis of DED in everyday practice, including the standard diagnostic techniques, as well as more innovative technologies. We will also discuss the measurement of inflammation and the role of blepharitis. So, dear colleagues, thank you very much for joining us for this second podcast. In the first one, we talk about dry eye, and in particular, we try to define in dry eye and to explain what is dry eye. Today, we are talking about the diagnosis and management of patients with dry eye disease. I would like to thank Professor Margarita Calonge, who is with us today. Margarita, if you wanted to introduce yourself. Hi. Um... Thank you, um, Stefano, for, for inviting me. So I am currently a full professor of ophthalmology in the University of Valladolid. Valladolid is, is in the northwest part of, of Spain. And um, there we have an institute um, in which we have clinical uh, research and, and teaching. So my role there is in the clinical in the clinical arena, I am the director of the Ocular Immunology Unit. We have just created a oculofacial um, pain unit. And um, I'm also in charge of the cell therapy unit. And in research-wise, I coordinate a group of about 25 people. And our main focus is uh, ocular surface and mainly dry eye, in fact. I think that sums it up. <laughs> Thank you very much, Marga. And it's also my pleasure to introduce James Wolfson. James, you want to introduce yourself? Sure, Stefano. Um, so my name is Professor James Wolfson. I'm an optometrist uh, at the uh, University of Aston in Birmingham in the center of the UK. Uh, I do a lot of uh, research in, in dry eye contact lenses, intraocular lenses and uh, instrumentation. And uh, we have our own uh, dry eye clinic uh, there. And I'm also the Associate Pro Vice-Chancellor for Research Integrity. Thank you very much, James. Uh, one of the aim of uh, this uh, podcast is actually try to give messages and combine the basic science with the clinical practice and the everyday practice and see to really how to manage our uh, patients. James, who are the patients with uh, dry eye and why they are complaining about the symptoms? What are these symptoms? Uh, in particular? Okay, so um, from the TFOS used to um, definition of dry eye, all dry eye patients have both symptoms and signs. So dry eye is a subset of ocular surface disease and they are the people who that ocular surface disease is causing um, symptoms. And of course, then there's the differential diagnosis to make sure this isn't a, another disease such as allergy or infection. So symptoms is a really important part of dry eye disease. And in terms of diagnosis, of course, we have to do that in a standardized way because we want to make sure that there's consistency uh, between us as practitioners when we make that diagnosis. So um, the uh, committee, TFOS, decided on, on two questionnaires, the ocular surface disease index, uh, which has 12 questions or the 
a dry eye questionnaire with its five questions as the core diagnosis of dry eye. In terms of those symptoms, of course, we want to understand both the severity of them, but also the, the frequency of them. Both of those um, play a part. And of course, they're, they're quite complex. This is a multifactorial uh, disease, so those symptoms uh, differ in our patients in terms of when they're worst um, and the sorts of things that provoke those symptoms. And uh, what about your everyday uh, practice? I mean, do you see many patients with a dry eye? And also, is there any relationship between a dry eye and a contact lenses? I know that you are a, uh, an expert in, in this field. Yeah, there, there certainly is. And uh, if you look at, at the causes of dry eye, both on the evaporative form and on the aqueous deficiency form, contact lenses can play a role. It's quite interesting with contact lenses because actually um, we use them as a treatment as well. So we use bandage contact lenses as a, a treatment for severe ocular surface disease. So they can be part of the solution as well as mm -hmm. part of the cause. So it is about practitioners optimizing the lenses. Um, and there's obviously some really good lenses now on the market, particularly those with a really slippery, lubricious, as they call it, um, surface. They seem to be much more comfortable for patients because you don't get the friction between the lens and particularly the eyelid motion. So it's certainly something to pick up in your history and symptoms if they're a contact lens wearer and if they are to deal with the issues to do with the contact lenses first and also to differentiate between those people who had dry eye before and the contact lenses perhaps um, contribute to that a little bit and those people who never had dry eye but the contact lenses push them over the edge um, because obviously it's different in terms of our management then uh, one becomes purely a contact lens option uh, uh, um, issue the other one you have to do a combination of both thank you james so uh, let's talk about uh, the diagnosis Marga, is it difficult to, to diagnose uh, dry eye? I mean, some colleagues of mine say, oh, you have a lot of time to diagnose uh, dry eye and then you can do a lot, of, uh, a lot of tests. That's why you don't miss the diagnosis. But probably this is not uh, the, uh, the reality. Uh, I mean, how do you diagnose patients in your everyday practice? And what are the suggestions that we can give to our uh, colleagues? Well, I think it's very easy to misdiagnose dry eye, in fact. To me, the diagnosis is very difficult because it implies that you have to do a very good clinical history. And this is something that unfortunately we are doing less and less, worse and worse. And by doing a clinical history, you realize that some, several of the dry eye people, dry eye people that have been referred to you as dry eye, they don't really have dry eye, but other diseases. So it is often misdiagnosed. Um, so clinical history is important, and, and the first or the main thing that it is misdiagnosed to me is atopy. Um, many of these patients have AKC, atopic keratoconjunctivitis, and nobody has asked them about the atopic dermatitis that they have or they had in the past. And the symptoms are very confusing because they are mainly the same. And one thing that I find useful is the, the OSDI. If you see a OSDI with all the answers that are about one, two, and not really in the, you know, in the, in the more three, four um, score, you know that you are, this is not really dry, but it's something else. And these people have symptoms, one of the symptoms is dryness and they can have dryness. So to me first, what we have to do is to make a good clinical history and, and really realize that whether or not we are in the 
um, in the field of dry eye or something else that is very easily confused. Yeah, I and totally agree course, with, sorry, correct. Go ahead, please. I was going to say I totally agree with you there. I, I think the uh, the history is is so important um, to get right in terms of the diagnosis of dry eye, um, and likewise um, symptoms, as you say, can um, come with a, a variety of different conditions, not just mm. dry eye. The OSDI really records the frequency of symptoms, not the severity. Mm. Um, so, and, and dry eye tends to be something that there is there the most of the time. So it does tend to be the, right. the people with the higher scores. I remember a very famous uh, person in, in, in the field of ophthalmology said um, that any chronic ocular surface disease will end up developing dry eye. So the patient might have dry eye, but you really need to go back in history and see what, what caused that dry eye. Otherwise, you don't really never get them free of symptoms and, and free of signs. So that's what I was trying to say. And, and then, in terms of um, symptoms, I don't know, um, James, is you, what kind of questionnaires you do? We do routinely for any patient coming with dry eye symptoms, whatever he or she might end up having, having we do an S uh, OSDI, the visual analog scale for the worst symptom and also for pain because we are very much interested in pain and we are trying to see we are catching pain also. And um, the CDEC. Um, and then um, a very simple questionnaire that we have just published, which is the dry eye severity questionnaire. And this is not for the first visit, but for the second one, just to say whether the patient has improved, uh, impaired, or is the same. And if you improved or are worse, how much? And so that, that's the symptoms we, we are doing right now. Yeah, we would always do the OSDI because that's one of the diagnostic criteria. Um, but also I like the, the visual analog scales and, and particularly the um, Sandy questionnaire. Um, so that has essentially two visual analog scales, uh, one for the severity and one for the frequency. So that sort of gets in that severity element as well, which I think is, is really important. And particularly then when you're talking to patients about uh, appropriate management. Mark, in terms of... Uh, uh... Mm -hmm. Uh, test that you perform yes. once that you listen to the history to your patients then you know that it could be dry eye or any or anyways it's an ocular mm -hmm. surface uh, uh, disease the last time with uh, Maurizio we talked about a lot that dry eye is a disease of the ocular surface uh, systems but in terms of diagnosis what are the tests that you use in your uh, practice well, the, I think we all agree and we all do the same ones, the basic ones, which are, um, of course, you have to examine all the ocular surface first, the conjunctiva, flip the upper eyelid, see if there are macro papillae that, that would suggest uh, to be. Then, of course, the lid margins are essential because um, and gland disease is extremely frequent. But again, some people may have a lot of signs of meibomian gland disease and that is not responsible of the problem. And then once all this has been examined, I usually uh, put um, fluorescein, I use the strips. And with that, I do the beauty and fluorescein staining and also lysamine green staining. Although lately the lysamine green staining that I have is not 
it's, it's not giving me any staining and I'm relying more and more in, in fluorescent staining in the conjunctiva too. Like this might be wrong, but I don't, I'm having a lot of problems with glistening green and we don't have rose bengale available anymore. Uh, then after that, um, uh, I do, usually the technician or the nurse do a shimmer test. We always do it with anesthesia. And it's something, usually in the normal regular clinic, I don't do any other tests because all the others like mayography and, and the most sophisticated, sophisticated tests, we do it in the context of clinical trials and not regularly in, a, in, a, in the clinical in yes. a regular clinical session. But I think that uh, you and James agree with me that if you use a fluorescein and elisamine green, we have uh, almost all of the information that we need to diagnose the, the dry eye. And I agree with you about the, the elisamine green. The elisamine green in strips uh, doesn't work very well to stain uh, the surface of the eye. I have to say that in Italy, we are lucky enough to have a new uh, liquid formulation of elisamine green that comes with a dispenser that uh, makes a drop of 10 microliters. So we can stain and uh, get a lot of information because we can stain the conjunctival cells we can stain the lead margin. Uh, we can see, for example, if there is a superior limbal keratoconjunctivitis. Uh, I mean, we can get a lot, of, uh, a lot of information because this stain is uh, tremendously uh, important. James, is there anything else that you do in uh, everyday practice and or this uh, an, an, another question, uh, what about these new technologies? Uh, if you can explain to us what are these new technologies, uh, what are you using and what do you think are useful? And of course, Maga, if you can uh, give us your comments about these new uh, technologies, please, James. Sure, so um, obviously I need to declare that I was the, the chair of the Diagnostic Committee of TFOS Juice mm -hmm. so we did a lot of work around uh, appropriate diagnoses because we've all acknowledged there are lots of different uh, <clears throat> tests out there and, and you've got to select between them, you haven't got infinite time with your patients. So as well as uh, symptomology, which of course is critical for your diagnosis of dry eye, we're looking for those uh, markers that show the homeostasis of the tear film has been disrupted. Um, so we're looking for less invasive tests, if at all possible. Um, so we would always do a non-invasive breakup time. I'll talk a little bit about the, the technology to do that afterwards, but I think that's becoming more standardized. And the advantage there also is a lot of the new instrumentation will do that more objectively. Mm -hmm. So um, the computer will detect it rather than you having to look for it, um, which uh, obviously makes things easier. Also, you can pull back on that instrument and, and have a look then at the interferometry from the lipid layer. So again, that gives us a bit more information when it comes to subclassification. Osmolarity, we, we do have in the clinic. We tend to use it more in research studies, but it is part of the, the possible ways of seeing that um, disruption of the homeostasis of the tear film to look for a diagnosis. And we do always use both fluorescein and lysamine green. Very interesting to hear you talk about lysamine green. Um, there was a paper last year looking at the different strips and showing that they're not all equal. Um, so they do stain very differently and there are stains on the market that really don't stain uh, at all. Um, so TFOS2 recommended that you left the, the drop on the strip for at least five seconds to increase the concentration. Um, and we've demonstrated that in the lab that actually that makes a big difference. And you pour the whole drop into the eye rather than just a minimal amount like you would do fluorescein. 
um, to get that uh, staining. But we are working with some of the manufacturers to make sure that we can get a more consistent lysamine green. Um, but it's great to hear from Stefano that uh, there may be a liquid form available as well, because I, I think that would benefit us um, very much. Although we've got to acknowledge that worldwide, there are some countries that are not allowed to use it, um, unfortunately. So um, while I think it's a really useful dye and critical to, to um, the diagnosis of, of dry eye, uh, unfortunately, not everybody has access to it. And then moving on from the diagnosis, we would then do things like a um, tear meniscus height to look for more aqueous deficient dry eye, again, trying to get away from the more invasive tests like Shermer and phenyl red. Um, and we would always do myobography to have a look at the structure of the gland expression um, with a corb uh, expressor to have a look at the um, functionality of the glands, as well as the interferometry, as I said, to have a look at the, the oils on the surface. In terms of new instrumentation, there seems to be a new instrument every month. Um, so um, we've just evaluated seven different uh, instruments. Um, what's really nice is some of the multifunctionality that they have now. So not just non-invasive breakup time, but they do do the infrared light to allow you to do the myography, the interferometry as well. Some of them are doing automatic grading of, of redness. Um, so they are quite powerful in, in the clinic in terms of understanding and also pre presenting that information to the patient. Um, so again, really great reports for patients to really understand where their, their disease is at now, and also therefore where, where you manage to get them to uh, with treatment. Um, Expense-wise, some of them are pretty expensive, um, but some of them are, are relatively inexpensive. Um, so they sort of vary from about 1,500 euros up to the 20, 30,000. Um, so we have a variety of this technology and we're currently trying to understand what makes better technology in terms of the light sources they use, for example, and, and the imaging systems. Um, but there are some really impressive systems out there now. Um, but it sort of puts dry eye um, as something that, that can't really necessarily then be done in, in normal clinical practice. I'm not sure they have the time anyway. It is quite a speciality. What is your experience with these new uh, techniques? Well, again, um, what I what I can do in, in the regular clinical practice where we have 20 minutes max for each patient or half hour um, is all that I said before. Um, it, maybe I didn't um, comment on the fact that I um, I do expression of the of the um, eyelids and see whether the I think this is very important to determine the quality of the mabum. Actually, yeah, absolutely. Mabography I don't do it regularly because I, you know, just by examining the eyelids in the sleep lamp and clipping the eyelids, I can get a pretty well, pretty nice idea. If I have the time, I do it, but some many times I just I just can't and and. It's quite easy to imply where, where you are going to see in a mabography. Um, and all these te techniques that you have mentioned, James, um, uh, you know, study of the lipid layer, um, uh, for instance, impression cytology, we used to do it, we don't do it anymore. Meniscus, all that. We'll relegate that for, for clinical trials when you need like much more time mm -hmm. for each patient. Sure, it, it does um, take a long time to do. Um, the myobography is nice because it's really yeah. powerful with the patients. They really yeah. get it that, that these glands have been damaged and obviously therefore are a bit more motivated for the, for the treatment. 
Um, but yeah, it, it does take time and, and I'm, I'm quite an advocate for not trying to sort of squeeze this into sort of a standard eye test, um, that this is a specialist service that you're offering patients. But obviously that then has time and, and cost implications for the patient and the clinic. We didn't talk about uh, inflammation. We know that inflammation is so much important for uh, dry eye in terms of diagnosis and in terms of, uh, of treatment. Marga, what is the role of inflammation in a dry eye and how can we diagnose it? I know that you have a lot of experience you have a very nice lab. So can you please help us to better understand how to diagnose inflammation? Well, we have, um, I think it has been established already, Stefano, that um, inflammation is, uh, takes always part is the pathogenic mechanism to cause causing dry eye um, eventually. Um, it is the pathway, it's not that it is, we don't know the initiated agents in many types of dry eye. We know, if, of course, in, in other types. But inflammation is the way that, that, you know, that nature takes to produce all the, the damage that we see in the ocular surface. And inflammation has been demonstrated there anytime it has been looked for. Uh, it might be much more relevant and unknowledgeable in, in uh, dry eyes, like Sjogren's dry eye patients, but it has been demonstrated also in meibomian gland disease and in any disease. So that's why, um, uh, and actually, as you mentioned, we our contribution for the to the world of inflammation in dry eye has been through cytokines, inflammatory molecules in in uh, in tears. We have a lot of um, experience in that. We have looked for in all kind of uh, kind of molecules in tears in contact lens words, uh, differentiating symptomatic from asymptomatic um, uh, lens words in any kind of dry eye, and we have always demonstrated elevated cytokines. We, we have a little bit of different profiles, but you know the typical cytokines, interleukin scenes, MMP9s, uh, interleukin-1 receptor antagonists, interleukin-8, um, IP10, more or less always the same kind of molecules are elevated. And of course, a um, decrease, which is the about the only one that decreases epithelial growth factor, and it has been proved that the more, uh, the more, um, or the lower the levels of uh, epithelial growth factor, the more severe the dry eye is. And when you treat these patients and you improve, then these um, inflammatory molecules decrease and EGF increase. And this happens in Mevonganda disease, in Sjogren's, in, in Grasbessuhor's disease, in any kind of drug. And that's why I'm a big believer of, of treating these patients with anti-inflammatory therapies. I mean, everything is very important, lead hygiene, all the in-office lead hygiene treatments that we might talk about in, later. Um, of course, artificial tears, anything but anti-inflammatories are to me essential if we want to have a long-term um, management of these patients. And in terms of diagnosis, Marga, in the everyday practice, I mean, you look at the conjunctival hyperemia, you do any, any tests, you do impression cytology in all, the, all of your patients or just um, in clinical trials? I, don't, I used to do impression cytology in any patient. I don't do it anymore because I always find the same, more or less, less amount of, um, of goblet cells. 
and kind some kind of metaplasian epithelosis. So I, I stopped doing it because it doesn't really help me much unless you want to do investigations with that, special stainings and all that. And it's very difficult to demonstrate inflammation because the inflammation related associated with dry eye is not that kind of inflammation that causes usually a red dry eye with the exception of mavomitis, usually in the context of rosacea that will get you a red eye. But usually the inflammation in the dry eye is in the conjunctiva, is the conjunctiva the stroma full of lymphocytes and that doesn't cause a red eye. The, eye, the vessels are not dilated and you don't see a dry eye. And these people are very symptomatic, very dry, and they might have a little bit of red eye, but not the type of dry eye, of red eye that you will see in a um, bacterial conjunctivitis, for instance. So that's that's very well known. So inflammation is not always a red eye, and dry eye is the example of that. So you just have to believe that it has been demonstrated that there, when you are examining this patient, the conjunctiva is inflamed, it's full of uh, inflammatory cells, and the tear film is full of inflammatory molecules. And because it has been published and demonstrated, you have to believe it. I don't think it really makes a lot of sense to try to do um, uh, in, for, for diagnosis MMP9 or this kind of molecules because um, just because it's been very difficult to, to find a really reliable test that it works in 100% of people. And um, we just have to assume that inflammation is there. Yes, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's a problem that we have in our in our price. We know that inflammation is there. It is, a problem. but where we yeah. cannot dem demonstrate it uh, uh, unless we use specific techniques. But exactly uh, because we don't see yeah. a right eye in many cases. So exactly. We have exactly. To, to change that to you know our colleagues that are not in the dry eye will think what. Your patients seem not to have anything because you know they look at their eyes and the other side are white. But this is the eternal problem with with riot people. Exactly. They suffer a lot and they can't show it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. James, uh, one last question uh, regarding blepharitis or meibomian gland uh, disease. We know that it's a very common uh, problem. Again, how do you manage your patients from a diagnosis to treatment? We are not talking about the treatment. Uh, today, but just to have a, a, an idea, I mean, uh, what we should explain to our uh, to our patients? So, yes, you're right. It's, it's very common in our patients, and, and seemingly more so. And, and we've started to see um, myobomian gland dysfunction even in, in very young children, um, related to, to how much screen time that they um, use now. So, I think it's going to be a growing problem for us all. Um, so we do try and explain to the patients what's happening and, and show them things like myobography. That's, as I said before, a really powerful um, tool to, to explain to them the importance of, of, of hygiene of, of your eyes. Um, we explain about the, the myobum and the need for those lipids to flow on the surface. And again, that leads naturally to some of the eyelid warming um, treatments, um, which can be a very effective, the ones either that they use themselves, such as a, a warm mask, or ones that we can do uh, in office, such as IPL and LippyView and, and, and many new uh, office treatments that coming into that space. So that idea that uh, in some ways it's more like dentistry than traditional eye care, that you have to do something 
daily to look after yourselves. That might be drops to reduce your symptoms, but also uh, a warm compress to keep those oils flowing. Um, and then the idea that at the regular checks, we can clean them up and, and do a more um, a stronger treatment, um, like an in-office treatment, um, but also things like debridement if necessary, if there's keratinization along the lids. Perforitis is a chronic disease. So Absolutely. They, they can yes. be better, but they have to keep using the disease kind of treatment, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. And some of the, the newer treatments with lid wipes, et cetera, can make that a lot simpler for them to, to do than, you know, when I trained, it was all about baby shampoo. But again, that's been shown that that can inflame the ocular surface. And um, so we do want some things that really help in terms of the management and, and don't hinder and, and also easy to comply with. So in conclusion, we can say that dry is a very complex disease. We have some instruments that we can use in the everyday uh, practice, like fluorescein staining and the lysamine uh, green staining. And in most of the cases, we can make a diagnosis. What is very much important is what we said at the beginning. So we have to listen to our patients. Maybe we have to spend like uh, some minutes, uh, but if you listen carefully to our patients, then probably we will not miss the diagnosis. And also it's important to talk to our patients, explaining what a dry eye is, uh, in most of the cases is a chronic disease, as well as blepharitis is a chronic disease. So we cannot give a, a solution uh, that lasts forever, but we can definitely prescribe treatments for a prolonged period of, uh, of time. So I'd like to thank Professor Margarita Calonge and Professor James Watson for uh, being with me uh, today and to talk about uh, that we all do research in, in this field and we are working very hard trying to find some solution to open questions such as how to diagnose inflammation in the everyday practice.